All right, Exodus 12. I'm going to read Exodus 12, verses 21 through 28. We started in Exodus 12 last week, and up through verse 20 of Exodus 12, God instructed Moses and Aaron what they were to do in preparing for the last plague that is going to come upon Egypt. It is the death of the firstborn. So let me read to you Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 28. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That they shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Father in heaven, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, open our hearts and open our minds and let this gospel be the good seed of the word planted in the good soil of the hearts that you have given to us by a new creation. Lord, let this gospel bring forth a righteous harvest of fruit that would give glory and honor to your name to make you known that all the world would know that you are the Lord. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy poured out on us today. We thank you for the power of resurrection and the promise it holds for all who trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a lot here in these few verses. We're going to use this verse as a springboard. Today is Easter Sunday. It is the day we celebrate the resurrection. But actually, last Monday was Passover. Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was buried and in the tomb on unleavened bread, and he was raised on first fruits. We know Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday because the feast of first fruits always occurs on the first day of the week. And in the Jewish calendar, that is Sunday, it always occurs on the first day of the week following the Passover and unleavened bread. 
And so we know that Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday morning. And he was the first fruits that God raised up, the first fruits from the dead, the first fruits of many to come. He was waved before the Lord. He was lifted up, raised up, ascended on high. He is the risen Savior. And so we as a church, the tradition of the church is to celebrate Easter Sunday on that Sunday that is based on a bunch of things with the moon. I won't go into the details of it, but it's always on the Sunday following the new moon. So Passover is always on the 15th of the month of the Jewish calendar. Easter moves around based on really the Passover and the new moon. I say all that because I want to emphasize again that even though this is a special day, this is a day to celebrate, I want to stress to you that the resurrection is something that we should remember and celebrate every day. And we don't celebrate it the same every day, right? But in our hearts and in our minds, it should be as real on Monday as it is on Sunday. It should be as real in the dead of winter as it is in the newness of springtime. The resurrection is not defined by a day on the calendar. The resurrection is an eternal spiritual truth. It was a real event that happened on a certain day, but it is an eternal reality now. If you are in Christ, you live in the power of resurrection right now. If you are in Christ, you have already been raised up in him, in his life. It, it is, does not matter what's going to happen to your body one day when you die, how you die. If you are in Christ, you are in him now. You are saved now. You are living in resurrection life and resurrection power now. And the resurrection of your physical body one day is just an outcome of the reality that has already transpired by the new birth that God graced you with through faith in Jesus Christ. God commands Israel, take for yourself a lamb. Israel is commanded to observe the Passover in order to avoid death. And by the blood of the lamb, death will pass over and the destroyer will not strike. The Lord said, I will go through the land of Egypt to strike the Egyptians. And when I see the blood of the lamb sprinkled on the lintel and the two doorposts, 
I will pass over that house and not allow the destroyer to strike the inhabitants of that house. I want to say something to you, church. If you for one second think that the devil is outside of God's control, I want you to think again. There is not anything or anyone outside of God's control. The destroyer could not strike unless the Lord allowed him to strike. The destroyer could not come and strike the Egyptians. He couldn't strike anyone until God said, go. And if you are in Christ, you have absolutely nothing and no one to fear. Because Jesus is Lord of everything. Remember our story? And if you belong to Christ, he is Lord of your life. Jesus is the Lamb of God whose blood has caused death to pass over us. In John 1.29, he is called the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. In Revelation 5.6, John says, I beheld in the midst of the throne, there stood a lamb as if it had been slain. In Revelation 13.8, he is referred to as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is why we know that the cross was not God's plan B. The cross was God's eternal plan before there was a world, before there was a foundation. Before time, before space, before the very matter of the creation that is all around us and in us. Before there was a creation, before there was anything created, it was the eternal purpose and the eternal counsel and the eternal will of God for Jesus to be his lamb slain. It was always to be Jesus and his blood that would cause death to pass over. So we see like everything else in scripture, it doesn't matter whether you're reading the account of creation or whether you're reading the account of the flood in Noah's Ark, everything in the scripture is pointing us to Jesus. Everything in the scripture is giving witness to Jesus. And when God commanded Israel to take a lamb, it was a road sign flashing with bright neon. This is Jesus. And when Jesus, the lamb of God, came, this is why John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away, he doesn't just cover, he doesn't just temporarily atone for, like the sacrifices in the tabernacle and the temple that went on without ceasing day after day after day. It was a bloodbath in that tabernacle and that temple. There was bloodshed constantly to atone for sin, but that blood of bulls and goats and lambs and turtle doves could only cover, it could only temporarily atone for our sin. And this is exactly why John the Baptist didn't say, behold the Lamb of God who covers our sin, but behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Every lamb that was sacrificed in the tabernacle, every lamb that was sacrificed in the temple, 
pointed to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, whom God would send himself for his house. Whose house are we, church? Hebrews says we are the house of God. We are the church. We are the house of God. And God sent a lamb for his house, which is his church. And his house and his church is no longer Jew. It's no longer Greek. It's not black. It's not white. It's not brown. It's not yellow. It's not red. It's not rich. It's not poor. It's not short. It's not tall. It's not skinny. It's not wide. It is one new man in Jesus Christ. There is a new humanity that has come forth. There is a new creation that has come forth. It came forth in Jesus Christ. We are the house of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And God took a lamb for his house and he slaughtered it. And it was his sinless son that was slaughtered so that the blood could be applied to his house and death would pass over. And so it has. And Jesus is that lamb. Now let's go to the New Testament, to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. You should mark that verse right there. Verse 2, pay close attention to it. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some have fallen asleep, and that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles." Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am wor not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. In fact, if the dead are not raised. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins." Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all 
men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is commonly referred to as the resurrection chapter because it is the topic, it is the subject of that entire chapter. Paul goes on and he writes some amazing truths that I wish we had time to study this morning, but we do not. But when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I would encourage you to read it, especially on this day that we remember and celebrate the resurrection I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians and pay very close attention to every word that God inspired to be written in that record. How Jesus is described, how death is described, how life is described. But let's go back to the first part of this chapter. The gospel is the word of God. Do you hear me, church? The gospel is the word of God. Or I could say it like this. The word of God is the gospel. When does the gospel begin? Not at Matthew 1.1, but it begins at Genesis 1.1. It actually begins before Genesis 1.1 because Genesis 1.1 is just the written record of the gospel. But the gospel didn't begin when it was recorded. The gospel existed in eternity because Jesus was in eternity, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. That means the gospel didn't begin with a book that was written or a man who walked the earth, but the gospel began with the triune God it began in his will, in his counsel, and in his purpose. And everything he created, and everything he has done, is doing, and will do, the gospel is central to it. The gospel is the word of God. The gospel is that word you are to hold fast to. Remember verse 2? It is to be preached, it is to be received, in it you are to stand. By it you are saved. If you hold fast that word preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The word preached is the gospel. The message that Jesus is risen, that is the gospel. If Jesus is not risen, there is no gospel. If you do not hold fast to that word, that Jesus is risen, then you have believed in vain. Now, just in case, so that you do not get confused, Paul is not writing in verse 2 there a doctrine that says you can do all this work and then get to the end of it and then lose your salvation. He's making a statement of fact, and the statement of fact is this. There is a word, there is a truth, there is good news that you are to hold fast to. 
And if you let go of that, if you believe something else, if you hold fast to something else, then you are believing something that is vain and futile. And you may get to the end of your life believing something that is vain and futile and find out it was never the truth. And it cannot and it will not save you. There are a lot of people in that boat today believing things that are vain and futile and empty. Paul says, don't do it. The gospel is the word of God. The gospel is threefold. The gospel is Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ is risen. The gospel is a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. It cannot be a dead and buried Savior. End of story. Well, Jesus was a good man. He died for us. Let's go see his tomb and let's remember him. No, that's not good news. There have been a lot of good men who have died for a lot of good causes, but there was only one man who was truly good. The gospel is threefold. If our Savior is not risen, then there is no salvation. There is no salvation if Jesus is not risen. The good news is, church, he is risen. He is risen indeed. The gospel is the word of God. The gospel is threefold. The gospel is the message of God's grace. In verse 10, Paul says, I am what I am by God's grace. I was a murderer, a persecutor of the church. I am the least of all the apostles because I persecuted Christ and his house and his church and his way. But I am what I am by the grace of God. You might think that what you've done in your life is too horrible for God to forgive. You need to get over that. That is arrogance. You are arrogant to think that you are so bad, not even God can save you. That is the height of arrogance, and you just need to get over yourself. I am what I am by God's grace. By his grace, his grace toward me was not in vain. This is what Paul declares. His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. The gospel is the message of God's grace. The grace of God is never given in vain. We are not to believe empty myths and empty tales. We are what we are in Christ by the grace of God. We labor, yet not us, but the grace of God with us. That's what Paul says. I labored abundantly more than all, yet not me, but the grace of God with me. Or in Philippians 12, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God who works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. The gospel is the message of God's grace. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Paul said in verse 11, we preached and so you believed. We preach and so you believed. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. 
Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. And they have believed as a result of someone proclaiming that gospel. Romans chapter 10, verses, verse 14 Paul writes, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The gospel is the power of God to salvation. It is to be proclaimed. It is to be preached. Yes, from pulpits, but more importantly, from the pulpit of your life, from your heart, from your life, from your walk, from your talk, in everything you do, the gospel is to be preached and proclaimed, for by the gospel and by the gospel alone can men be saved. The gospel is Christ risen, and it is the power of resurrection. In verse 12, Paul writes, Now Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? The gospel is not just Jesus died to forgive your sins. If, it, if the gospel ends right there, we have no gospel. Do you understand this, church? Because if Jesus only died, then we are still lost. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again and ascended to the Father. The gospel is Christ risen. It is the power of resurrection. How do some among you who profess to be believers believe that there is no resurrection? This verse right here, verse 12, links back to verse 2. Verse 2 and verse 12 are linked in this letter. And this is what Paul was talking about in verse 12, he was referring to some among them who did not believe in the resurrection. Well, you can't just say, I'm trusting in Jesus and not believe that Jesus is the resurrected Savior. If you are believing in a Jesus that is not risen, then you are not saved. If you are believing in a Jesus that is not risen, then your faith is in vain. If you're believing in a Jesus that does not have power over death to raise from that grave and ascend to the Father and receive the kingdom that is rightly His, then your faith is empty and you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to find out that everything you believed was in vain. And this is the warning of verse 2. Paul is giving a warning to those believers who are saying, I'm trusting in Jesus, but I don't believe in the resurrection. Then you're not trusting in Jesus. You're not trusting of the, in the Jesus of the scripture. You're trusting in another Jesus because the gospel is Christ risen. It is the power of resurrection. We preach the gospel. We preach Christ risen. That is the gospel to be received. Paul asks this question, how is it that some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? This goes directly to this point in verse 2. This is the word that we must hold fast to. This is the gospel. If we do not believe that Christ is risen, then we believe in vain. For our faith is not in the truth, but it is rooted in a lie. The gospel is never empty. It is always full. Some people say, well, I preach a full gospel. Listen, there is no other kind. 
There is no such thing, if it is the gospel, it is either full or it's not. There are other gospels. There is another Jesus. There is another gospel that we can preach. There are churches today, cults today, meeting at this very time, proclaiming a false Jesus, and they think they're believing in the Jesus of this Bible, but they've married him to another testament. They've married him to another book. He's not the Word made flesh. He's not the God of creation. He is a God. He is whatever, but he's not the Jesus, the God Almighty of the Bible. That's the Jesus we worship. That's the Jesus we proclaim. That's the Jesus of the gospel. And so when we preach that Jesus and that gospel, that gospel can never, ever, ever be empty. It is always full. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If Christ is not risen, there is no good news. Our preaching is empty. Our faith is empty. The point of the gospel and of Christianity as a whole is not to promote, listen church, some super moralistic lifestyle to improve our existence here on earth or to earn brownie points with God and climb our ladder to heaven and hope we make it someday. That is not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel and the point of Christianity is the revelation of the glorified and risen Christ and his church. Don't leave off his church. People like Jesus, but they don't like the church. I'll take Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. You've got a problem if that's your attitude. Because the Bible is really clear what the church and Jesus represent. It's called a marriage. When I take couples through premarital counseling, we spend a lot of time talking about this. Paul gives the commentary recorded for us right there in Ephesians 5. He talks all about husbands and wives. He gets to the end and he even says, we are now, speaking of Jesus, we are now bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We are members of his body. Then he goes on and he says, I speak concerning a mystery, but I speak of Christ and the church. And the Bible says Christ has become one with his church. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We are not two any longer, but we have been made one. And if you go to Jesus and say, you know, I really like you, Jesus, but I can't stand your wife. I really like you, Jesus, but your wife makes me sick. What do you think Jesus, who is one with his bride, who loves her so much that he gave his own life for her, what do you think Jesus is going to think about you after you get through telling him that you don't care for his bride? I think you and Jesus are going to have a problem. And this is a myth. This is a humanistic myth. This is a convenient myth that we want to believe that somehow we can be okay with Jesus and not okay with the church. That doesn't fly. That is not Bible. That is not the gospel because Jesus came. Listen, Jesus came to slay the dragon and save the girl. He came to take a bride for himself. 
Why do we see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? We see these bride stories. Here goes a husband looking for a bride, and he goes and he leaves his country, and he goes and he finds him a wife, and he takes her to himself, and they become one. We see this throughout. This this is imagery. This is the gospel being preached in Genesis, this is the gospel being preached throughout. God tells Hosea the prophet, go marry a whore, take her into your house, clean her up. She's going to be chronically unfaithful to you, but it's a picture of Israel. It's a picture of our chronic unfaithfulness, but God's chronic faithfulness. It's a picture that proves to us, or it should anyways, that we are not saved by our own merit. We're not saved because we're all that and the bee's knees. We're saved by the grace of God and by the grace of God alone. Because the only way we're going to keep a covenant, the only way that we're going to persevere to the end is because God is going to give us the grace to do it. And he will do that because he loves us. And how do we know that he loves us? Because he gave his life for us. He has called us his own. He has called us bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. He said we once were two, but now we have become one. The gospel is never empty. The gospel is always full. It is full of hope. The gospel is never futile. The gospel is always effective. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, and those that have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. If Christ is not risen, then Christ is not accepted by the Father. Do you realize that? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then the Father didn't accept, accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And if the Father didn't accept accept the blood of the Lamb that was slain on the cross for us, that means then our sins are not atoned for. That means we're still in our sin. But the good news is Christ is risen, and the Father did accept the sacrifice of his Lamb that was slain for our sins upon that cross. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. The gospel's power is always effective to save those whom the Father has given to the Son. Hold your place there. Let's read in John chapter 6. The words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 39. Jesus is speaking and he says this is the will of the father who sent me that of all he has given me i should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day are you trusting in jesus if you are trusting in jesus your faith has saved you by god's grace You belong to Jesus. And Jesus says right here that he will not lose anything or anyone that the Father has given, but he will raise it up at the last day. Let's look at verse 65. John 6, 65. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. 
If you are trusting in Jesus, it is because the Father has given you as a gift to his Son. He has granted you to come, and Jesus is promising you right now in his word, he will not lose you. He has redeemed you by his very own blood, by his very own life. The gospel is never futile. It is always effective. It is always effective to save those whom the Father has given to the Son. The gospel is synonymous with hope. If in this life we have hope only in Christ, Paul writes, we are of all men most pitiable. Paul and the other apostles and so many others sacrificed all in this life for the sake of the gospel. They did so joyfully because of the hope that is given to us in Jesus Christ. If we only have hope in this life, no matter how good this life may be, we have no real hope and we are truly most pitiable. The gospel is good news now, not only in the past and not only for the future, but the gospel is good news now. But now, verse 20, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Do you know what first fruits imply? It implies there are those to follow. Christ is risen. And if you are in Christ, you too are risen with him right now. That's why Paul can write in Ephesians that you are seated in heavenly places in Christ. The gospel is God's eternal plan. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For the first man, Adam, came death. By the first man, Adam, read 1 Corinthians 15 and you'll see this language. Adam is called the first man. Jesus is referred to as the second man. By the first man, Adam, came death. By the second man, Jesus Christ, came the resurrection of the dead. Jesus Christ is the man eternally purposed to come and eternally purposed to defeat death. Death that came to all humanity that was fathered by Adam. How many of you have been fathered by Adam? You might as well all raise your hands because if you came out of your mother's womb at some point in time, and I'm guessing you all did because you're all here, you are born of your father, Adam. In your first birth, you are of your father, Adam. Jesus Christ was the man that God eternally purposed to come to defeat death that has come through Adam. Verse 22, the gospel is the promise of a new birth, a new birth into a new creation. Paul writes this in verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. That is not a doctrine of universal salvation. You need to read it and understand it very clearly. 
For as in Adam all die, how many men, women, and children, how much of humanity is born from and into Adam? All. That's why in Adam all die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. In other words, all who have been born again in Christ shall be made alive. All born in Adam die, all are born eternally separated from God with no hope in themselves to defeat death. Even so, in Christ all shall be made alive. All in Christ have been born again by the Spirit, by a new birth, and we have been born into a new creation. How does one come to be in Christ? If in Christ all shall be made alive, the important question you need to ask yourself is this, how do I come to be in Christ? And the answer is given to us by Jesus, our Savior. You must be born again. These are the words of Jesus recorded for us in John chapter 3, verse 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Teacher, we know you're a, a man sent by God. Jesus answered, didn't let him even finish his statement. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Even Moses got to go up on the mountain and see the promised land with his eyes. But Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom. Not only are you not going to enter into it, you cannot even see it. Because the Bible describes us as being blind, deaf, and dead. And I would ask you, what can a dead man see? What can a blind man see? What can a deaf man hear? The answer is nothing. What is the solution? Jesus gave it to us. You must be born again. All humanity has been born in Adam in the first birth of the flesh from our mother's womb. Thus in Adam all men die. You must be born again. You must become a new creation in Christ by a new birth of the Spirit from God above. In Christ all shall be made alive. In our new birth we become new creations. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, she, is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Remember in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, hold fast to the word. This is the word that we are to hold fast to, the word of reconciliation, the word of the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for us, he was buried for us, and that he rose for us and now sits at the right hand of the Father ever to make intercession 
for us. The gospel is the word of reconciliation. I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Trust in Jesus. Trust in the power of his gospel to save you. Trust in the power of his resurrection to raise you and give you eternal life in Jesus Christ. Trust in the reconciliation that has come through a new creation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. May I say this, that you do not have to wait for the preacher's invitation to trust in Jesus. Trust is not something that you respond to. Trust is something that springs forth from your heart. Trust is something, faith is something that comes alive in your heart. And I pray that as we have read and preached the gospel today, I pray that faith has come alive in your heart, not because I've asked it to, not because I've invited it to, You can shake my hand all day long. You can walk the aisle and tell me how much you love Jesus all day long. But if faith has not come alive in your heart, you're not saved. How do you know? You might say, preacher, how do I know? Trust in Jesus. You will know if you are trusting in Jesus. You will know if you're playing games with God. And you will know if you are truly trusting in Jesus. And if you are trusting in Jesus, you have no fear for the promise of God is that you belong to him and he will never lose you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Let's get ready and come to the table. My charge to you today is to rejoice in Christ who is risen. He is risen indeed. To live conscious of his atoning death, to live conscious of his resurrection life and power working in you, to live proclaiming his gospel through your life every day and in every way. There is no calling, there is no vocation whether you're a preacher, a plumber, or a printer. That is outside the reality of God's resurrection life and power in Christ. And through your calling and through your vocation, moms and dads, as you raise your children, as you provide for your families, as you are citizens of this great nation. Proclaim Christ. Proclaim his gospel. Do it with words. Do it through your life. And do it to his glory.